It's a pleasure to open up God's Word before you this morning. I'd like to begin by reading to you three passages of Scripture, three short passages. Uh, The first two are from Ephesians, starting in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to 21. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And then Ephesians 2, 21 and 22. In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. And then 1 Peter chapter 1, 15 and 16. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, how many of you have been to a wedding ceremony? Probably everybody, probably everybody, most people have been to a wedding ceremony. And if you think about a wedding ceremony, and, and sometimes in the Bible, the wedding, a wedding feast or a wedding ceremony is used as a kind of uh, picture or illustration of what uh, the worship of God is. Or maybe to put it another way, uh, marriage signifies the union of Christ and the church. And so... It makes sense that sometimes that picture of a wedding would be used. But I want to use it as an illustration for you to consider uh, something that gives us something to think about how a worship service is uh, in comparison with, with other things. So when you, when you go to a wedding, a wedding has certain features to it. For one, a wedding is a very serious and reverent occasion. It's... There's something of great significance taking place at a wedding. So when people go to a wedding, it's something that's uh, taken very seriously and there's great attention and focus given to it. Um, But it's also a very joyful occasion. It's a very happy occasion. It's one where there's there's lots of laughing. There's lots of of joy. There's lots of uh, happiness and smiles. And so though... um, a, a funeral is also a very serious and reverent uh, occasion. I think a wedding ceremony is a better picture of what the worship service of God is like, because it is both reverent and it is both uh, reverent and joyful. Uh, it also contrasts with like a great uh, sporting event or something like that. Now that's a very joyful, happy, fun occasion, but it's not very reverent. People approach it very casually and without great seriousness. Well, some people are maybe overly reverent about their sports, but uh, nonetheless, it's something that's uh, not an occasion of great reverence and significance. Um, So I, I give this illustration today because I'd like, in light of these scriptures, for us to consider, as we come to the worship of God, the 
attitude and spirit in which we come as how we approach unto God. You know, when we, when we come into this place to worship God, we come to something that is sacred. Why do you come here? You come here to fellowship with one another. We come here to sing. You come to hear the preaching. Uh, but, but all of those things are secondary in that they serve the most important thing is that we come to worship God. We come into God's presence. And so all the things that we do in the worship, the prayer and the singing and the, and the preaching, those are important in so much as they are part of our worship and service to God. So, so that, that is one of the first things we ought to consider as we consider our attitude as we come into the worship. We come into the presence of a holy God. And that is a great privilege. So we ought to approach it with, with a great seriousness and uh, an, a knowledge and an awareness of the sacredness of what we are participating in. The, the sacredness of it. Uh, so so we, uh, we come in, into God's presence and it says in one of the verses we read that we are builded together as a habitation of God through the Spirit. And we are exhorted to be filled with the Spirit. And one of the means through which we're filled with the Spirit is it speaks about speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So everything that we do in our worship and our service of God, our prayers and our uh, reading of Scripture, preaching or listening to the, the preaching or singing the songs or exhorting one another from the Scriptures, we are stirring up in us the presence of the Spirit of God among his people. So we cannot, uh, we cannot downplay the significance of what is taking place when we worship God. And so uh, this is an encouragement to us to consider the sacredness of it. The time and the place that we set aside for our worship are they're sacred. They are consecrated to the Lord. Uh, consider for a moment this, uh, the the concept of holiness and sanctification as it's presented to us in the Bible. I think we looked at this a little bit, but it's several months ago now going back when we were in Ephesians 2 and we were talking about the temple because the temple is given to us as the Old Testament foreshadowing and picture of the church. The temple now is something different than it was then. Then it was a building of wood and stone it was a physical building in a physical place where God manifested his presence to his people. And it was called the house of God because God made his presence there. In the new covenant, God has done something uh, not less significant than that, but even greater than that. It is that he has made a building out of living stones. That is, it's made up of the people of God. That is that you also, it says, are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. So God has chosen in the church to come and to make and to manifest his presence, to come and to, to dwell. And, it, and it's sacred. But, but thinking again about the temple, in the temple, there was certain uh, degrees of, of uh, sacredness or set-apartness, if you will. 
Uh, we don't always think about it that way. You think of something, something is holy or something's not holy. And in a sense, that's true, except uh, that the way that the temple was constructed pointed us to something that there was increasing levels of sacredness in what was going on. So there was, of course, the temple itself, and there was an outer court to the temple. And it was, uh, in my understanding, that in the outer court of the temple, that even the Gentiles were allowed to come, because the temple was designed to be a a house of uh, worship for all people. That God gave it, uh, the, the purpose of God calling the nation of Israel and setting them apart was not because they were the only people that God was interested in bestowing his grace and kindness and love on. But he said that they were a kingdom of priests, that they were set apart to be a means by which God's blessings would go out to all the nations of the world. And so there was an outer court for where the Gentiles could go, but they weren't allowed in the inner in the inner court of the temple. And then inside, within the inner court even, there was a place called the holy place. And this is where uh, there was many of the furnishings of the temple, the holy uh, furnishings that God created. And, uh, and then within that, even further within that, there was the most holy place. And only the high priest went into the most holy place, and he only went in one time a year. So you can see that there were different uh, degrees of how set apart something was. And this was because it was dedicated specially to the service of God. And think for a moment about the stones that made up of the temple or the wood that was used or the uh, even the uh, the flesh hooks that were used for the sacrifices or any of the furnishings, any of the materials that were used. Uh, the bowls that held the water that they used for the purifying in and of themselves. They were just like, uh, in a sense, they were like any other bowl. The stones were made of stone, just like stones you'd use to build a house or, or, or a bridge or something else. Uh, what made them holy? What made them special was that they were set apart for that purpose. So we could think about that when we think about this place. And this time that we come together to worship, what makes it uh, holy and sacred is that it is specifically set apart for the worship of God. So we we uh, do things and we behave in ways and we think in a certain way, uh, even though we are ought to be in all manner of conversation, as it, as it says in our lives, holy before God. Yet there's something special about when we walk through those doors And we uh, begin that worship of God. We, in a special way, enter into his presence because it has been set apart for his worship. The holiness of God is uh, something that is in the scriptures greatly impressed upon us as we sang holy, holy, holy before. Well, I'd like to read to you from Isaiah 6. A couple of passages of scripture will give us an illustration of this holiness of God. The prophet Isaiah had he had an encounter with the holiness of God. He had a vision of God in his heavenly throne room, and he was confronted by the glory of God in a way that uh, goes beyond normal experience, to say the least. 
Uh, It was a powerful vision. Now, God is that holy and that majestic all the time, whether we realize it or not, whether we're aware of it or not. But there are times when God especially uh, opens up our eyes to see and to have revealed to us uh, and confronts us with his holiness. And then it strikes us in a very powerful way, like one of the miracles that Jesus performed. I think it was with the fish. When he caused the fishermen to let down their nets on the other side and bring in a great amount of fish. And Peter falls down before him and he says, Lord, away from me, for I am a sinful man. He was encountering the the majesty of God in that and he was struck by it. Well, here it says in the year Isaiah chapter six, in the year that King Isaiah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne High and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto the, the, uh, another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now in the inside of the most holy place in the temple, the holy of holies where the high priest went, There was the Ark of the Covenant, and inside the Ark of the Covenant, written on a table of stone, was the law. And then on top of the the Ark was what was called the mercy seat. And it signified the throne of God, the seating place of God. And at the sides of it were carved uh, two cherubims that were like, kind of like throne guardians for God. They attended unto him. And... uh, but these were carved out of out of materials, uh, out of out of materials of the earth, and they were static. They were not uh, living creatures. They were signifying the heavenly reality. Well, here now in Isaiah's vision, he doesn't see cherubim carved out of earthly materials, but he sees these living creatures surrounding God on His throne, and it says His train filled the temple. The temple. So he's in the presence of God here. And one cried, uh, and we read that uh, verse four, and the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Another example is given us in Revelation chapter four. The book of Revelation, often with symbolic visions, reveals to us, uh, through these visions, heavenly reality and heavenly truth. Things that we don't normally see with our eyes, but they're conveyed to us by by these symbols in Revelation. So here, the the Apostle John has a vision of, of heaven... In Revelation chapter 4. After this I looked and behold a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me which said. Come up hither and I will show you the things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. 
And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. So here he's seeing this vision of the throne of God in heaven. And this vision is conveying things uh, in ways that represent to us the, the truth of what is taking place here. Uh, he's like a jasper stone. He's like a sardine stone. There's a rainbow round about the throne. Inside it is like an emerald. What do all these things convey to your mind? What picture is being painted here for you? Is something that is, is, uh, is majestic. It's colorful. It's valuable. It's, it's sparkling and shining with a brightness and a glory that is, uh, is, is beyond understanding. And round about, there's 24 elders surrounding the throne, and they have crowns on their head. They have crowns of gold on their head. So here we have something representing uh, individuals that are of great power and status and glory, but they are surrounding the throne of God, of the King of Kings, of the creator of, of heaven and earth. And they're worshiping him and they're bowing down to him and they're laying down their crowns before him, humbling themselves before the one who is worthy of all the praise and all the majesty and glory in the earth and in heaven. And out of the throne proceeding lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had the face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had one of each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. One reason uh, among many that God is worthy. God is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our praise and our Uh, dedicated service to him, our diligent service to him. He created everything. He created the heavens and the earth. He made all things, including you. He made you. He created you. You belong to him. That's the greatest uh, privilege and purpose for your life is to belong to God. And if you are Uh, If you are a child of God, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it says you are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So when we come into worship, we come before the holiness of God. So let's consider some some practical application of this. What, what, I, what I ask you to consider is I ask you to consider as you uh, come into here on a Sunday morning, your thoughts, your attitude, your mindset as you come into this place, how you come in. I, I just I encourage you 
to think about that uh, as you come. And, and so here are a few things of practical application. Uh, first of all, uh, a commitment to it. Commitment to it is important. Uh, I was recently advising a young man who was describing a situation to me as respects to church, and he was kind of bouncing around between attending different places of meeting. And he was telling me a little bit about what the problem was because he was generally attending this one church, but he was having, he was having some issues with it. And so um, he was saying, well, I like, I like going on the Wednesday nights. I, I appreciate the fellowship. I've got some really good uh, brothers in the Lord there that are like family to me and they encourage me and support me. Uh, but uh, it has a, they have a new pastor and I'm not really getting anything out of the preaching on Sunday. So, you know, I'd like to go there for their Wednesday night meetings, but go somewhere else where I like the preaching for, for Sunday. And so I listened to him describe the situation and I said, I understand, but let me give you a different angle from which to think about this. Everything you said just now about your experience on Sunday and going there was all about what you are getting out of it. And that's not everything that there is to worship about worship. You know, so, so think about this. It isn't just about what we get out of it. Um, we get a lot out of it. If we come here uh, from the preaching, from the encouragement, from the fellowship, we ought to get a lot out of it. But that's not the only reason we come. That's not even the primary reason we come. We come, remember, to worship God. And so what I was encouraging him overall to do was I was encouraging him to find somewhere where he could fully commit to a congregation, to a church. With all of its problems, with all of its flaws, because we all, we all have them. But we, there's great uh, joy and fruitfulness in committing fully to something, even though there may be aspects of it that aren't perfect or aren't fully what we would like or what we, what we would like to be able to get out of it everything that we would want. Um, but uh, this church, every church I've ever been to, every church we will be to, to on this earth is not going to be perfect. It's not going to have always everything that we like. Uh, sometimes a sermon is not going to speak to us uh, in a powerful way. Uh, maybe that will vary from week to week. But I encourage you to come here, not just thinking about what you could get out of it, but thinking about how your participation, how your presence here, how every one of you has something to add by being here, by adding your participation and commitment and involvement to the church. And that is important to the church, is important to one another, and most of all, you're coming to worship God. So I encourage commitment. I encourage an attitude uh, that we come with an attitude of, of reverence. Remember the analogy like of the wedding ceremony. If you were attending a wedding, and you were preparing to go to that wedding and you were and you were showing up at that place. Think about how you would approach that and the attitude you would have. You would be there. 
You would be uh, looking forward to it. You would be attentive to what was taking place. You would be fully aware of the significance of what you were involved in and what you were doing there. You know, coming to church is not like going to a ball game. It's not like uh, it's not something that we approach casually or or uh, for our entertainment. It's something we come with that seriousness and joyfulness and, and, and happiness. We ought to now not every time we come to church are we going to be happy or I'm saying you're required to come in here happy. Maybe you're going through great sorrow uh, and you come with that sorrow. That's OK. That's OK to come here how you are. But there is joy in worshiping God. So generally, uh, worshiping is going to be a joyful experience, a happy experience to, to worship God. Uh, next, I would say that I would encourage that you participate and not just observe. Uh, there can be a temptation to, to think about as we walk into church, to think about it as um, the preacher is the... Um, you know, he, he's speaking and the rest of us are just part of an audience. You're not an audience. When we come to worship, we are all participating in the service, in, in the whole service. So how, so how do you do that? Even if maybe you yourself are not the one speaking when the prayer is made or you're not the one uh, talking when the preacher's talking. Well, um, in each aspect of the service, you participate by at the least by joining your heart and your attention to what is going on. So when when we're singing the songs, you lift up your heart to God in worship to him, because that's the most important thing, that God is being glorified. Um, And think about the words that are being sung. It's not just a mechanical process. You're not just a uh, a sound producing robot that comes in here to make the music singing is something where uh, like in Ephesians it says speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that is that there's something being communicated to one another as well as to God in those words that they're to encourage and to spur us on to worship God, to be reminded of his of his salvation and what he's done for us, to be reminded of his glory and his holiness. And that affects our hearts and it transforms us and, and it changes us uh, when we pray. Why is it that when uh, when someone prays in a congregation at the end of that prayer, uh, everyone says, Amen. It's because by saying the amen, you're saying that's like saying uh, true or verily or so be it. You are by saying amen, you are joining your will and attention and desire to the things that have been prayed. So when prayer is being made, uh, whether you're the one speaking or not, join your thought and your attention to the prayer Uh, during the preaching or the reading. Give your full attention, your mind to it. Uh, to be able to receive the things that are preached. And um, there are ways I think we can also prepare. If you're reading the Bible, you're listening to the Bible, or you're, you're doing that outside of the worship service, you are preparing 
for the word to be presented to you in the worship service. You'll better understand the things that are being said. You'll be better able to test them and compare them against scripture. So ideally, what we'd be doing is throughout the week, we'd be reading the Bible. And then when we come to hear the sermon, it's not entirely unfamiliar, but it's connecting with something that we've been reading. And, you know, I've heard so many times, I've heard so many times uh, people say this, but it doesn't surprise me because of how God's spirit works. But so many times how something that's preached connects, you know, somebody will come up to the preacher after and they'll say, you know, I was just reading that scripture this week or I was just uh, studying that recently. It's because God's spirit is at work among his people. And he and, and when you're faithful to be diligent in that, he will bless that and you'll you'll be able to experience and receive that blessing. Uh, And then so ideally we'd be reading the scriptures. We'd be prepared to hear God's word. And then after we can also go and we can compare what we heard with the scriptures to confirm it. Uh, I'm not offended by that. I wouldn't be offended if you after I preached every time after I preached, you went home. I'm not expecting you to do this, but I wouldn't be offended if you went home and you went through everything I said and you compared it against the Bible and you fact checked it. And you tested it. Uh, I wouldn't be offended. You know why? Because that is of a noble heart to do that. To search the scriptures daily. Whether those things are so. Because I don't come up here. To tell you my opinions. Or to, uh, or to entertain. Or to make a reputation for myself. I want to teach you God's word. I want to glorify God and edify the body of Christ. And so by testing things against scripture, you are uh, building on the things that you've learned and, and growing in the truth. So there, there are so many ways uh, we can uh, participate. The other is in our fellowship. Uh, when you come here, think about how you can encourage someone. Think about how you can bless somebody by your presence. You know, if you ever find yourself in a situation like the young man I was talking to, uh, you know, I come, I just don't get anything out of it. Well, the next time you go, think about before you go, God, please bless that today I might be able to encourage someone that I speak to by a kind word, by, uh, by listening to uh, their difficulty by listening to their prayer requests and and committing to pray for it at some point in the in the week to come. Something there's something there's always something that you can do to be an encouragement to your brothers and sisters in the Lord, and that's another way in which we participate in the worship. And in all these things, remember, remember what it all comes back to: we're serving God. You know. We, the greatest blessings in this life that we'll receive, we'll receive through um, our enjoyment of God's uh, blessings to us. Uh, but we are doing it in his service for, for his glory and, and in accordance with his will. And so let us remember that, as it says, submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of God, in the fear of God. Uh, lastly, let me just close with this. We, we, I've, I've spoken about how when we come to worship, we approach unto a holy and a righteous God. 
How do we even do that? How do we even, how can we even have the right to come before a holy God? You know, we, we, we ought to feel like Peter felt uh, in some ways when we consider our own sinfulness and the holiness of God. We, we would say, Lord, away from me. I'm a sinful man. I don't deserve to walk through those doors into a holy place and be in the presence of God. But, but, we, are, but we are able to do that. And why are we able to do that? We, we are able to do that. We are able to approach unto God because of the sacrifice of Christ, of Jesus Christ, offered on our behalf. In the, in the Old Covenant uh, foreshadowing, in the sacrifices in the temple, before the priest entered into that holy of holies, he always entered with the blood of a sacrifice being offered. That was the only way. It was signifying the spiritual truth of what's true in Christ. He would, they would offer sacrifice. They would cleanse everything in there, including themselves, before they approached unto God. So we only approach, but we are able to approach. We are encouraged to approach. We must approach. And we are able because of the sacrifice and offering of Jesus Christ... On our behalf, his blood cleansing us from all sin and unrighteousness, making us holy so that we are able to approach to a holy God. That ought to blow our minds when we consider the privilege, the awesome privilege that that is to enter into the presence of God and the great cost that was paid to enable us to do so. The great price that was paid of the life of Jesus to make possible that we could approach unto a holy and righteous God, enter into his presence and, and have him come and dwell in us by his spirit. And we have, because of that, we have freedom to enter into the holy presence of God. Remember in the old covenant, there was that holy of holies. Well, it has been, Revealed to us now and has been enabled that we spiritually are now able to enter in to the holy of holies, to the place that was called the most holy. And the way has been made possible through the offering of Christ. It says that he made the way open through the veil. There was a thick uh, linen veil that... Um, was the barrier between the two. And when, when Christ gave up his life on the cross, that veil was torn from top to bottom. And that veil, though, that veil signified something else that would be torn. It signified the flesh of Jesus Christ, for he himself is the doorway into the Holy of Holies. So through him we are able to enter. And with that in mind, we will close with this reading from Hebrews 10, 19 through 24, which speaks about the very things uh, I was just saying. This speaks about these very things. And it begins by encouraging us to enter, not just tentatively, not just, just barely, but with boldness. Or that is, or to say, with freedom. With, we, we are free, we are able fully to enter into the presence of God with boldness. Hebrews 10, 19.
Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching.